Welcome to episode six of the Hoop Threats podcast. I'm here with Al Kinski. Uh, welcome to the pod, man. Glad to have you. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Awesome. So first off, I want to start with the fact that, that you're from Minnesota, but you're a Syracuse fan and also a Steelers fan. Let's talk about, you know, kind of your early years, how you got into sports and how you became a fan of those teams. Yeah, so I grew up and uh, spent uh, a lot of my, my elementary years in New York, so uh, kind of developed a love for Syracuse basketball relatively early when I was born. I was essentially told, uh, on, I guess not when I was born, when I was about two or three, and I had to pick you know, the, the team I wanted to root for. My dad put a, uh, put a Bills jersey in front of me and a Steelers jersey in front of me, so I'm glad I, glad I picked the one on the right. Oh, um, no. knowing any better. So my brother's been a lifelong Bills fan, so <laughs> That's a struggle, but yeah, that's how I got into that move to Minnesota. And uh, yeah, it's been interesting here lately. Absolutely. So how did, how did you get into sports early on? Did, did you play? Yeah, I played, uh, played basketball and baseball. Um, you know, I'm only grew to be 5'11", relatively skinny. I was a pitcher. So um, went to college, played baseball. That ended up not working out even before it started. I ended up hurting my elbow the senior year uh, heading into college and decided, you know, I, uh, perhaps my sports endeavors are over and uh, try to figure out a different way to, you know, stay in the, uh, you know, the field after I, you know, had my four years of college. So, yeah, I went to Duluth um, in Minnesota. So way up north, everything's connected by tunnels. Um, stay out of, and uh and yeah, I uh, more or less uh, stumbled upon my career outside of college and sports, but I knew that's what I wanted to work in. So, gotcha. So let's start with uh, TST Media. Describe your beginnings there and uh, the transition to sports engine. Yeah, so I was there to late 2011. Uh, they were called Team Sports Technologies, and I didn't really know what I was walking into. I just needed a job at that point, and they wanted me to work nights on the uh, Minnesota Hockey Hub, which is one of their uh, sites that uh, use Sports Engine, uh, it's a, uh, or TST Media at the time. Uh, and I was essentially a content guy, so I kind of saw how the platform worked. Um, uh, the company ended up transitioning into being a, uh, you know, a registration platform, really, for youth sports. So if you play youth sports, you're going to more or less bump into sports engine at some point and we caught steam. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting being part of a startup for, you know, we were roughly 20 and 30 employees when I started. And, you know, when I, when I ended up leaving, it was, you know, it's a global company with, you know, almost a thousand employees. So yeah, it was cool to see the transition. They got purchased by NBC and Comcast in 2016. Um, then it, you know, it kind of took off, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to see how the, it's the field changed when we were startup based on, you know, when you kind of become more corporate. That was, um, you got involved with them right after college. Yeah. Yep. And then they, about a year, year into it, I got the chance to launch, uh, D one circuit, which ended up covering the UIBL and kind of took on a life of its own. So, uh, gotcha. yeah, that was my first, my, well, my first job out of college, I was working at an MMA gym, uh, giving tours for people to sign up and I liked it. I was good at it, but you had to uh, train there in order to work there. So uh, about two weeks in, like I was enjoying the training. I was getting a little, you know, a little cocky, I think. Um, and there was a, uh, a 16 year old uh, who I was like, well, he's 16. I did Rolling jujitsu with him is not going to be hard. Right. So turns out he's a pro now. So we'll leave the story off with that. 
but he got me a leg lock and you know I don't know the first thing about getting out of one I never thought I'd get in one and one thing you're not supposed to do is pull yourself out of it and I yanked my leg about as hard as he as I could to you know just pop out of it and uh yeah my ankle was more or less just hanging there so um I ended up uh yeah it uh ruptured a couple tendons uh ended up not being able to train anymore uh, so I lost my job and then I went into Get my job at Sports Engine about a month later uh, on crutches, so that was fun. But <laughs> yeah, it's eye-opening. Like, wow, this got this got real quick. It's an interesting start. Uh, talk about yeah. you know with, with TST and Sports Engine how you started with you know being a business development manager, and then got more into like marketing and, and statistics after that. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of finding a Sports Engine kind of found a niche by itself uh, and what they're how they were covering things and what they're providing for the youth sports landscape. So I kind of just tried to do the same thing. Looked around and, you know, we had to develop businesses, sports engine, get more websites on the platform. So the best way to do that was, uh, I felt it was create visibility, create something cool that people want to see. And at that time, the UIBL was only, you know, a year and a half old. So um, kind of got in at the right time. And I'm a Syracuse fan. So I started Googling all the, all the kids that had committed there. I'm like, oh, they're all, they all have a player page on the same league, but, you know, there's a connection, but no one really covers it. So yeah, it, it made that uh, pretty organic. And then I was able to use that to, you know, kind of spread our wings into, into sports engine and kind of do the, use it for the same thing I'm doing now at player self. Got you. So talk about the, in addition to like sports coverage, sports engine has other sections on adaptive sports, um, resources for coaches and club admins and then player self. So, so talk about that. Yeah, so I mean, I left Sports Engine after nine years in October and uh, started up, uh, uh, a, a, I guess, a media entity uh, that has a, a bunch of different spokes to it. And we're, uh, as, I, as I was building that, I, I um, was familiar with Players Health. They were actually at the incubator uh, in 2016 when they started. Uh, they were an incubator within Sports Engine. So I got to know the CEO, uh, Tyree Burks, he's a former football player, um, and, and Players Health is, to put it simply, they, uh, you know, we uh, make sport, youth sports safer. So in basketball, I know you're familiar, if you want to sit on the bench, you got to be USA Basketball certified, right? You got to go through the safe sports certification, you got to do the background check, you got to do all that, uh, which is good, it's great, they should be doing that, but they're only doing it because the NCAA needs to follow safe sport. They're not doing it to... Um, you know, necessarily certify the programs, they're just certifying themselves. So, you know, if you were to go get your certification, that's great for you as an individual, but that does nothing for, you know, uh, whatever program you'd be associated with, right? So uh, we certify programs, we give them their own dashboard, we give them, hey, here's every person involved with your uh, program, here's everyone that's gone through the training, here's everyone that's gone through uh, uh, the uh, background checks. So, uh, if you ever get um, audited by what would be the Department of Justice, because uh, this is a mandate now for the Safe Sport Act, um, you have to prove that you know everyone in your organization has done this. Uh, every other sport seems to uh, be adhering to this in different ways, um, but a lot of organizations want to start running their own. You know, uh, keep all of this in house, and you know it's great for me because working in grassroots sports. Um, and there's a lot of parallels that we can, can be taken with, you know, what's happening in the past week as well. But there are, um, you know, you say the bad apples with cops. So there's bad apples in sports, you know, all over the place. And 
Uh, we give a you know a, 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 a abuse reporting tool as well. It's anonymous, so if a player is getting picked on, if a player gets a racial comment, if a racial if a player gets sexually abused or, or anything of that nature that shouldn't be happening, they have a, they have an outlet they can report that to, uh, and it'll be investigated. So uh, you know the number one reason that abuse doesn't get reported is because it doesn't you know people are afraid um, you know to essentially blow the whistle, uh, and this will hopefully. Uh, you know, lift that stigma a little bit, which we're, we're excited about. Awesome. Is that, um, do they, does Players Health really, is it more about injury prevention? Is it more about um, kind of teaching coaches about, you know? Yeah, so we, we go through the safe sport training. So it's, it's literally, uh, it's a, a abuse prevention training. So, you know, here's what to look for. Here's what not to do. Here's what to do. And it's a, uh, it's a mandate now. We're working on a, a parent training. Uh, that's agnostic of sport. That's basically, you know, here are the, you know, um, here are the best practices, you know, of, of how to do, uh, you know, different tasks within your, uh, you know, your son or daughter's life, whether it's talking to your coach or your team or how, you know, how, how to best carry a conversation on the way home. You know, maybe, you know, you don't want to keep yelling at them if they just got yelled at the whole time by the coach. So it's just, educating parents in a different way and you know i guess uh bringing more realization to what their you know kids might be going through and figure out the best way they can help so um yeah we're excited about that and we uh you know we want to do a better job of educating every part of an organization whether it be the coaches and admins whether it be the parents whether it be the players um you know it's a safer sport environment is going to help everyone and you know we haven't even talked about the girls angle of this as well you know there, there's a lot of sports being played and it's uh, pertinent that you know you're doing at least the bare minimum you know that that you can to uh you know ensure that your program is as safe as possible and there's a lot of programs that don't do anything right now so it's a uh, it's a bit of a scary proposition with the, the are there resources available, you know, as, as far as helping the kids with recruiting, help, helping to, to make college decisions, the college application process? Is, is that part of the curriculum or is that a plan to be a part of it? Yeah, it's going to be more of like an elite elite section. Uh, and I think we're going to uh, be partnering with some different people on that. And that's uh, um, being able to give recruiting advice. Uh, I think, you know, we're more or less going to have you know, a mandated, you know, here's the three, three minute videos you have to watch as a parent. And then we'll have a library of other, you know, from our clients. Um, you know, I was talking with the Indy Heat and he goes, yeah, you know, I would love to educate parents and kids on how to best, you know, approach a college coach with your film. He goes, you shouldn't be sending, you know, five, six minutes and 30 seconds, get them interested, you know, and, and keep your message short. So, I mean, there's, there's just different um, uh, pieces I think you can take from, 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 different leaders in their space that, that could be valuable there. Let's take a break real quick from, from that kind of talking about your roles and let's talk about, you know, you as, as a, as a professional yourself. So what are some of your marketing strengths? Um, what have you learned um, throughout the process that you wish you knew at the beginning? Uh, how quickly everything changes. Um, you know, I didn't, I still don't really know what TikTok is. Um, and then the app just comes out of nowhere and ends up taking over the world, you know, and, and it's being able to adapt. And then it's figuring out what works and what's consistent. You know, we have a way of promoting statistics through what we do um, and rosters. And we work with a system that's, 
pretty ahead of its time. And then, you know, to me, marketing is only as good as the people that you're creating the content about. And if they're not doing the marketing for you, then you did something wrong. So, you know, it's as simple as if we do that, this interview and I don't retweet it, well, I should be your biggest, you know, asset as far as promoting that content. So more promoting content with kids, you know, they're not going to go home and say, I just had 20 and 10, you know, but if someone tweets it about them in a professional manner, you know, they want to re-promote that information. It does a good job of, um, you know, do, doing uh, promotion from a third party. And it's important you engage with these kids, you know, it's, and you gotta be, uh, you gotta, um, be versatile or, or, uh, kind of dipping our toes in the, uh, uh, the e, e-gaming, uh, landscape, which we're excited about and that, you know, has, has become extremely popular over the last couple of years. So yeah, you gotta remain versatile. You gotta, you know, each second I get older. So people get cooler, younger than me and you got to tap into that, you know, and figure out, you know, what am I missing? Got you. Got you. What, what's your elevator speech? My elevator speech? Yeah. For myself? Yeah. I don't sleep would be my elevators, my elevator. <laughs> and while I don't sleep, I work. So, um, you know, I, I'd keep it very simple. It's uh, the elevator pitch for myself as a professional. Uh, You know, I'm a, I'm a basketball fan who turned it into a career and I am very good at finding, I feel I'm very good at finding kind of niches in the market that haven't been, uh, you know, extrapolated upon, which probably should have in the past. And if we, if I see something like that, I usually want to act on it. It's, you know, more so just like I'm trying to, explain this in 30 seconds, reeling myself in and deciding, you know, what, what's the best possible project to work on. Gotcha. Uh, what's a, what's a skill that you didn't think would, you would develop while working in marketing that you did? Mm, that's a good question. Well, just because it's so specific to basketball, probably just my ability to just like be honest, brutally honest with people. Like, you know, if well, I was still willing to selling websites, I, you know, I can tell my friend if he's a director, like, man, your website blows. Like, you need a new website. And like, they, like it, got, it got to like, for, so internal marketing being, it's a relationship based. And I didn't realize how much I would rely on that, but that's ultimately, you know, all it is. Um, so that's probably, you know, backing my way in the answer to that question. That's probably it is, you know, I didn't realize how much, I would have to be a relationship manager outside of everything. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that's probably it. Describe your, like your relationship with, you know, players, with, you know, coaches at the AAU, high school, college level, um, kind of what you do to develop those relationships and, and kind of turn it into being able to develop platforms that kind of fit their needs. Well, you got to work through them. You got to figure out what they want. I think that's the, that's the start if you're running a, uh, you know, anything in media. Um, I think it's, our coverage is more organic. So, you know, if I'm with a recruiting agency and I walk up to them, it's pretty much, they know why I'm there. Right. Uh, being able to cover it from grassroots in high school allows me to do some different things where, you know, I don't, I don't really care where a kid goes to college, you know, we're, we're covering them based on the high school and, uh, grassroots team they play out of. So really our coverage, you know, is kind of sparked from the teams and hits the players organically. So that's, that's kind of what I would say is the, uh, um, is how, how I introduce what we do to, to the, you know, to the entire landscape of grassroots basketball. But personally, when I meet them, I'm, you know, I'm, if they don't know me already, someone from the, uh, you know, a Nike organization or someone from a grassroots organization, 
I want to make sure they know that, you know, we're an asset for them. So, like, you know, if we can help you in any way, if there's any guys you want us to promote, just make sure they know we're there. And then it's consistency. If they know you're producing content about them, then you're going to continue doing that, which we had done from D1 Circuit for, you know, a number of years, first team, second team, third team, commitment updates. Like, people rely on that and they appreciate it more, and then it becomes an easier um, – you don't really have to sell them on the value you're providing. They more or less know about it. Um, but I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people just because of the role they play in this landscape kind of pigeonhole themselves and say, here's what I'm going to be valuable to you for. And we can go and, you know, we can do a number of different things uh, to potentially promote that, uh, you know, event team player program, whatever it may be. Um, try to be versatile. Gotcha. One more thing on the marketing piece. Um, talk about the difference in marketing you know, for, for boys and girls sports and target audiences and uh, just talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that's part of a big goal into uh, what we're doing on the season tickets, not just going to be basketball. We're, uh, we're going to be launching uh, in, in volleyball. Uh, we're going to, you know, any club sport really that uh, features uh, girls and boys uh, is where we want to be and where we want to be living. And I say that because the girls side of things is extremely undercovered, especially from the volleyball angle. Uh, and really from the uh, from a structured angle from the from the girls side in basketball. So, you know, we were excited to do the, uh, you know, the coverage of the girls at EYBL and um, have their scores, stats, standing schedules, player pages and do all of that and be able to provide that. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, it's it's different because people are servicing different industries and I have to I have to pay attention to that. Uh, just the way life is, people don't follow women's recruiting as much as they do men's. That doesn't mean there's not interest there. It might be more applicable from the angle I cover it. So, uh, and I think that's more, like I said, it's more applicable to what I'm doing, covering the teams and the programs. You know, you'll see a pivot from us where, you know, it's, it's not just boys tournaments we're working with, it's, it's the girls too. And, and being able to facilitate that, infer, you know, that information as is, is, is similarly as possible to how we, how we do on the boys end. So uh, there is a drastic difference. And I think it's, um, something that we can definitely, you know, help and improve on. And, you know, majority of these volleyball players are just sending their footage to coaches. You know, there's no, like, there's no, you know, there's no help. There's no assistance. So yeah, Highlights, yeah. Really. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Slam doesn't, doesn't really show up to that. Type of no. thing. Talk about real quick. Um, some of the, some of the people you mentor, some of the people that work for you, uh, like Kendall, uh, Pat Lawless, uh, talk about, you know, what traits they had or what things they did that, that attracted you to them and what makes them successful underneath you? Yeah. I mean, I've worked with a number of great people uh, over the years. Pat was with me for a while at, at prep circuit. Pat now runs the front office. He does a great job uh, with that, with that video block. He's just, you know, he's a young guy that gets it um, and knows how to talk to players and communicate with players. I think he's not long for what he's doing. Uh, I think he's going to find something bigger. I think that's a lot of the case for for some of these other guys, we have a young writer, uh, 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 really one of the best scouting minds after breaking down how he, how he breaks footage in, in Ken Provost. He does a great job um, and, and really puts time into it. Um, and, and it's cool being able to watch someone, um, you know, break something down um, so uniquely uh, at such an early age. And it's, uh, you know, inspiring to me because like man in five years where are you going to be um it's it, like it's exciting and you know plenty of people at sports engine i've worked with that um are doing great things now um brie lewerke she's still at sports engine she uh 
and she just raised five grand yesterday for the Black Lives Matter movement. She's helping with, uh, um, you know, she's in Minneapolis right by me. So, um, you know, she's helping with, uh, you know, black owned businesses getting, you know, back on their feet in Minneapolis. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people in this industry doing a lot of cool things. I've, I've touched a lot of different, um, I guess, uh, aspects of basketball and that's come with, you know, a number of different people that I've met and, you know, that it's, it's a kind of a laundry list, um, of, of people that I could, you know, have, have said that have helped me, um, you know, I guess, learn where I am today, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the, uh, managers and directors, uh, with the UIBL have been great. Um, you know, they, uh, it's cool to watch a vi- you know, a vision be executed by them and, and, you know, it's a small team, but, you know, there's a lot to learn from it as far as how everything works and, uh, you know, how you kind of have to, uh, uh, treat certain people in this industry uh and, and know how it's a small industry so people you know people talk so it's uh you know it's 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 not something that you can really just start a profession in you know it's you have to build you have to build yourself up and i, I think there's something to be said to that and wa- watching other people kind of do it while i've been in this space has been has been super cool but you know you're like you're one of them mark you know, watching build capital hoops that's one of them so it's it's people i think i'm 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 I'm, you know, I'm happy for the industry when I see guys start something that they really want to do and it, you know, it hits, you know, I think people, you know, there's a lot to, to be taken from that, you know, taking a chance on yourself. Gotcha. So talking about kind of beginnings, I, I read an article from uh, the New York Times, uh, Reed Wiseman, Wiseman put it out a while ago. Oh, my favorite article of all time. <laughs> talking about uh, EYBL, kind of talk about I'm not going to read it, but but talk about some of the difficulties you had, you know, breaking into the space in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, we did have some difficulties at the beginning. That there, while there are in, inaccuracies, definitely in that piece, um, it was good promotion for us. You know, I think it, you know, it was good promotion for what we were trying to accomplish for the league. You know, we wanted to give them an ESPN.com. You know, score stats, standings, gives like this is a structured league. Let you know, let's make it that way. So. Um, you know, when when we got the start, I mean, we just had some hardships right out the bat. We launched the site, and Nike immediately sent us an email, almost immediately, I think, within like six hours, basically, like, stop doing this. So it's like, oh, okay, well, now we got to pivot and figure out what we want to do. We, uh, Why we, weren't, they want we, we weren't doing anything wrong. I think it was the messaging. And like I said, you know, I was young when I was launching it. It was, hey, we're here to cover the EYBL. You know, I was very careful how I put together that message, but if you were reading it, um, you know, it was the goal at the time you were, you were probably, you know, you're thinking it was Nike. We had you know, branded ourselves and we hadn't let them know. And again, I'm brand new to the space. Had I had let them know and let them know, here's what we're doing. I think they would have been completely receptive to it. Um, and you know, they reacted the way anyone would have, what, like, this is our league, what, you know, what is this? So, uh, definitely had to pivot and figure out, okay, you know, what's the best way to, um, you know, make ourselves valuable in this situation and not only the teams, the programs with the players and how can we kind of spread our wings. So we just kind of kept at it. Um, we weren't, you know, breaking any rules. We just, you know, we wanted to provide value. And then um, soon after that, they, you know, reached out and said, yeah, we should, you know, you're providing value for us. Let's, you know, we're not, they're not doing it themselves. Um, you know, and I think that's not anything they ever wanted to be doing. That's not why the league exists. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, it, it worked out worked out nicely. Like I said, it was a undercovered part of the market that just, you know, to this day, ESPN or anyone could have just covered, started covering it. And 
it's just not something that's the focus of other people. Yeah, and you, you put together their website, right? So that's where, you know, kind of the relationship with you and Nike and the YBL started? Yeah, yeah, we had done their website for a couple of years and then we, uh, yeah, we just kept running D1 Circuit and that became, you know, the I guess the de facto voice for that. Gotcha. So an, another one of your babies, I think, was the uh, D1 Circuit catalog for, for EYBL yeah, yeah. with the rosters, advanced team stats, uh, two-page breakdown, player interviews. Um, talk about the time put into that, um, the team that worked on it, and uh, the importance to, to you and your audience that that was put out before uh, before the season got started. Yeah, I mean, we do one for Peach Jam, too. So it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of writing. Oh, actually, it's the assembly of it got easier and easier. You know, Bree was the one uh, assembling that magazine for a number of years. Bree who? Bree was the one uh, at, at Sports Engine was the one putting that magazine together uh from a digital standpoint, so putting the content in. Okay. Uh, I wrote uh, the magazines, and then we had Peach Jam Preview magazines as well. So it did take a lot of time. It's stuff I needed to be doing anyways to, you know, be learning about these players so I can, you know, best evaluate them, best give out awards and, you know, and all that. But also, you know, I used to love Slam Magazine. You know, I still do. And I think there's something to be said about a, you know, a preview that someone can sit down and read uh, and digest. And, you know, we were planning on, and now it'll be back. We're going to do it for the high school season, a, uh, you know, digital uh, elite high school breakdown and then a grassroots breakdown next season. Obviously this season is a lost one uh, from the, uh, uh, at least from the shoe circuit angle. Uh, we don't yeah. know what he is an under armor doing yet, but um, regardless, no UIBL is going to impact everyone. We decided not to do one, but yeah, that, that magazine is, um, had a lot of, uh, a lot of people like the magazine. Um, and we, uh, we had never sold it uh, up until that point. We were trying to figure out a, a, a way to keep it free um, where we could, you know, potentially have a sponsor behind it from the grassroots level. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun to work on. Uh, you have to start early. Uh, you know, I start assembling EYBL rosters as soon as the first one gets reported to me. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a good way of keeping myself honest, too, to make sure I'm covering it the way I should. And then it results in a, you know, the magazine that people can can read at their leisure. And there's a lot of there's a lot of movement that you got to keep up with too. I'm I'm sure that's fun. Um, talk about uh, yeah. talk about two more things real quick before the season tickets. So um, interviews for D1 Circuit, you know, at the events um, with you know Hoop Diamonds. Talk about how that got started and kind of what it what it evolved into the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean that was something that when we started, I never really even thought we'd wasn't on the radar. I wanted to get their scores, their stats, their box scores, make player pages. And then once we got there, I realized, well, we can create some pretty cool content. So yeah, we started creating our own last, I think three years. We were, we're doing a lot of it for the season ticket now where, you know, it's, these kids are, uh, you know, the prospects are, I guess, at least guarded, you know, after a game. So it's, it's cool to be able to approach them from the, like I said before, I don't care where they're going to college. So, you know, just get to know the kid and, uh, you know, be able to produce content about them that other people might not have known. And that's really where the, where our interview, we tried to keep our, you know, I guess interview voice was, uh, you know, bringing off different aspects about these kids and really just saying, you know, you're going to be in front of a camera soon, you know, giving them that, that experience uh, where you can put them in front of a camera. And you know, I think there's something to be said for a kid, you know, unwinding after a game before they talk to the media a bit. And I think that that could be improved in grassroots basketball. Mm. Uh, 
but uh yeah and you know from from all levels i think there almost needs to be a you know a debriefing area or it's with coaches too yeah i mean just kind of with everyone everyone's you know sometimes you get the media and it's like two minutes after the game's done it's like all right it's like give them a second you know what i mean so um, they get approached by a lot of people so it's a it gets crazier every year because this gets more popular every year gotcha um how did that start with like you know, with football, because it started with, I think, Gonzaga football in 2017. Boo. <laughs> but how did, yeah. how did it get started there? But what do you mean? Uh, our football coverage? No, with the uh, Hoop Diamond. Because I, I was oh. on the YouTube page, and I just found uh, Gonzaga interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, back in the day, we used to just go to, you know, if there was a local uh, videographer there, and I knew, uh, um, you know, I courtside hoop diamonds uh well, you know you tried to it's a way of consolidating resources really you know if he's yeah. doing it already promoting and it's a way to um you know and there's a lot of collaboration techniques that people could learn from in grassroots basketball because you can't do everything yeah. and i have a videographer there so hey you want to go promote this content made it really easy sweet um and then one more thing recruiting predictions for for 247 um what goes into those, you know, the college coaches info, high school AAU coach info, speaking to other people, um, speaking to, to their people specifically, how do you filter out, you know, what you have coming in? How to, how does yeah. That to, well, to tell you the truth, I have stopped doing that. Um, and I'm going to start back up with the season ticket. Uh, I really only started to, and this is going to tip a lot of people off. I would only start to do it if I know. You know, and if you, you know, there's that, and that's relationship based. So, um, you know, that can be a tip off for the, the right or wrong people you're following on their uh, crystal ball. Um, some guys aren't wrong. And, you know, it's pretty easy to tell the guys that are, are clearly in the know. And then, you know, sometimes you hear about stuff early, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, we, we had a conversation about a recruit before this started. It's like, well, I know that's the case. No one else does. So I guess we'll just wait and see. So, um, you know, I don't, I only had a person, I just launched my personal Twitter back in February. I didn't have one for like nine years. So I didn't want to be involved with this. I wanted to, you know, keep my face out of it, Mm. Uh, you know, kind of for this exact reason. And then last two weeks I've had, you know, Omaha Baloo get announced. He's going to Hillcrest prep. Uh, It was informed. uh, I got informed by, basically the only source necessary saying he has not committed there yet. So I had to use my personal account to basically say, Hey, this got out of line fast. Uh, and same with Bryce Criggs a couple of days ago, a kid from Houston put up an Instagram post and Twitter post saying he's going to San Isidro. None of that was essentially finalized. Um, so, you know, trying to be as prudent as possible. I'm like, well, let's at least say it's, you know, it's probably going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. You know? So it's, I try to, I try to remain out of that with my own actual, um, I guess face because you you see guys re- ruin guys commitments all the time it's like I don't want to be that person I, I yeah everyone works out like that I, I think the, the craziest misconception about the crystal balls is that you know the people putting them together are just guessing where they're going to go like no yeah there's no misconception based there. off of intel um, last question on that they is, right they want to be right just as much as those kids want them to go to their school or they you know those fans want those kids to go to their school so Gotcha. Who are who are some of the best college coaches in, in basketball, men's basketball, at making up ground in a player's recruitment and closing the deal last minute after a laid off? John Calipari. Um, I think that's an obvious one. I think that just 
that goes has to go with Kentucky as well. I think kids view that in a different light. Yeah, uh, Duke's done it a number of years. They did it last year with Cassius Stanley. I don't think they were very in on him. Um, and they're head turning programs. You get offered, it's immediate. You know, they're they're never if you have offered, they're never not going to have Duke in your top five. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it kind of um, kind of acts like that. I mean, there's been some good. Uh, uh, Buffalo's done a great job over the last couple of years, uh, getting guys that are under the radar that uh, other people have missed on that they've started late on. Um, yeah. Oh man, there. I mean, there's a there's a bunch that I don't I don't necessarily know if there's guys that necessarily come in late, but there's there's definitely guys that have um, kind of separated themselves as far as um, their consistency on being able to get you know. I think it's also the the timing of the offer too. Like I know. For example, like Virginia, Virginia is really going to research a lot of stuff before they put out the offer. You know, they're not a, a team that, you know, Michigan offers and Providence offers, and so they, they feel like they need to rush and get in the mix. And that's, you know, that's unique to them. Each each program has their own style. There are some offer fifty, some offer five. Um, if it were me, I'd like to know that I'm more, I guess, sought after. But yeah, uh, you know, each each guy takes their own uh, takes their own route there. Yeah, so let's talk about the season ticket. Um, talk about how it's different than the rest of the market and, and what, what plans you have for it, your vision for it. Yeah, so, I mean, pretty simply put, um, we're just essentially ESPN for grassroots basketball right now. We're planning to expand in other sports. Full stats, scores, standing schedules for the EYBL, Under Armour, Adidas. The cool thing about this, we're not just tracking a grassroots team based on uh, – their record for the, the circuit they play in, but rather their whole grassroots season. So if the PSA Cardinals go to hoop group, we're going to track their win-loss record within our system. So just providing more structure to, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a youth basketball landscape that really doesn't have that much structure uh, at a club level. And then we're going to be covering high school basketball as well. So it's essentially combining prep circuit and D1 circuit into one. Uh, and then we're going to have the ability to, uh, um, subscribe to pro uh, or buy program or uh, player pages for yourself. Uh, um, subscribe to program pages uh, so programs can essentially um, uh, market themselves as, as an elite grassroots program amongst the elite. So uh, we have a lot of tools, a lot of data that we feel like is going to be valuable, and uh, a scouting service that's attached to it. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work building it, but um, you know, it's. Uh, I think once this thing starts moving along and we actually start playing some basketball, it's, uh, it's going to turn some heads. Absolutely. What is something about the AU circuit that outsiders just don't understand? I can answer that question in, inside your question. Um, it's not an AAU circuit. It is a grassroots circuit. And I fight that good fight every day by trying to have people drop just the AAU moniker because the, the Nike UIBL will be the first ones to tell you, do not call us AAU. We are the Nike EYBL. So it's youth grassroots basketball. And I think it's a tissue Kleenex, you know, type type situation where people just don't know any better. They just call it because it's, it's, it's the brand name. Um, I think that's the biggest misconception is. And, and AAU gets blamed for stuff they shouldn't get blamed for. And they get credit for stuff they shouldn't get credit for. So it, it's a very like, you know, when they say, oh, I, like, you know, with, with uh, you know, the FBI stuff that happened that all AAU's paying kids and all this stuff. It's like, hey, you didn't have a damn thing to do with any of that. Like, <laughs> just people hear that word and, you know, it's it's been around for so long. So uh, I think that's the biggest misconception. Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing people probably don't know about it is that 
the addition and the, the development of the shoe circuits has already consolidated the top talent. So there's a less and less of a need to hit the independent teams when all of the talent is consolidated into, you know, the top 1%. So uh, it, that's changed quite a bit and people might not understand why that's important and which tournaments you go to and who you're sponsored by. It's all very important. And we're going to, you know, hopefully use the season ticket to educate some people, you know, what's a prep school, what's a private school, what's a post-grad school. You know, there, there's differences to what you're looking at here and it's the same with grassroots programs. Um, you know, there, there's differences. I really liked what uh, Keith Stevens had an interview last summer with uh, Jeff Goodman. And he said, you know, if you watch a kid during the high school season, you know, like, for example, Hunter Dickinson of the math, he's like, you know, you see a seven foot two kid play against six foot five kids. I mean, what type of evaluation are you going to get as a college coach? And, you know, right. when you're playing in the UIBL, you know, and you have Hunter going up against, you know, Mark Williams. I mean, that's a much different uh, evaluation that, that doesn't really get talked about all that much. Um, Basketball is much further ahead of the game than any other sport as far as consolidating their top youth talent, being able to measure them against each other. Obviously, there's kids that play in Under Armour and Adidas, and some kids don't go to USA, and it's impossible to get every kid in the same spot, but there's no off-season circuit or playing structure for really any other sport that, you know, you know you're going to be playing against other, you know, top 50, top 25 players. Absolutely. High school live period last year, um, had some good effects and left some people upset. Um, if you were the czar of, of grassroots basketball, uh, what would you change? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I'd implement probably a true national championship, mm. which hopefully we'll be uh, acting on somewhat soon. Someone will come up with something. I think it's important that, you know, all of grassroots basketball competes against one another. Um, and I think uh, I think there's an opportunity to do you know symposium type ideas you know especially with everything going on you know let's 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 uh, infuse some structure in this as well off the court stuff where um, you know kids can win in that aspect too and I don't necessarily know if that's always the focus which is you know obviously unfortunate yeah yeah. Um, let's talk about the the attention, the power, the the platform that that kids have. I mean, you know, Ronnie James has. I don't, it was it was in the tens of millions of followers on on Instagram. Um, talk about you know what how that's different um, and and kind of the pros and cons of that. It plays into what I just said. I think the kids need to educate. Like it's new to them too, so I think kids can. Uh, more or less sabotage themselves with that type of following. It can be a great way to promote themselves, but it can be a great way to shoot yourself in the foot too. So I think kids need to uh, definitely educate themselves. You know, you might not say something that, you know, will lose you a scholarship or something like that, but you might tweet something that just, you know, people might judge you. You just got to be really careful about what you tweet because you, you never know what's going to lose you a fan. Now there's certain things that obviously people should speak up about that um, you don't, you don't want these people following you or rooting for you, you know, if, if they don't agree with you. And one of those things is condemning racism. That should be relatively easy to do. A lot of people with their social media accounts can't even send out a simple, you know, it's, it's really simple. And I, I you know, I kind of went on a, a little bit of a rant at, at some coaches, but it's like, look, you have a voice to promote yourself and your employment and your program. You have to use it to, you know, support 
the majority of the players that are playing for you in most situations. So, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I think social media is from, uh, you know, if you gave me 1.3 million followers when I was 16, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know if that's healthy. You know, you think about it, like, I don't know. No. I feel that. All right, we're going to go into the quick hitters portion. Um, first one is is going to be an interesting one. So Coach K is 73, uh, Bayheim 75, Roy is 69. Uh, who do you see replacing each of them in those in those blue blood spots? Uh, that's a good question. Duke, it could be any assistant on their staff. <laughs> mm. And those guys go get different – those guys get different jobs too. You know, I think potentially Capel could come back. Um Duke's an interesting one. Wojo's done a great job at Marquette. They might want to keep, you know, keep it in house with someone that's developed, you know, head coach. I think if, if Hurley is able well. to I mean, if Hurley's able to do some stuff, I think I think he'll his name will be in there too. Agreed. I think that that one's kinda of up in the air. Uh McNamara or uh McNamara is, you know, I would assume is gonna replace Bayheim at some point. There's Red Archery there, there's Alan Griffin, they already lost Hopkins, and that was a you know a pretty big recruiting hit to them. And you know, yeah. I think uh, yeah, I mean, the, the players love Jerry. He's obviously a, you know an icon there. Um, you think it's possible Hop comes back? Yeah, I do, I do, and I think that's probably going to be you know up to Hop. Um, you know, he's built building some pretty good Washington there. Yeah. Uh, what about you and well, even to recruit nationally, he's still got it. You know, he's still clearly has the relationships built up with programs like the City Rocks and you know the New York City UIBL programs and Under Armour and Adidas programs. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, people trust him. And then Roy, oh man, that's uh, I'll plead the fifth on that one. I don't know who would uh, who would necessarily land that job. You know, uh, there's a number of different options. He can keep it in house. He can look to. You know, Jerry Stackhouse, he had Vanderbilt doing a good job there. People trust him. He's built up a, uh, you know, quite the, uh, you know, resume for himself. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that, that that kind of fit that, you yeah. know. Steve Robinson's there, too, and you know, Wes yeah. Miller could come back. Um, give me your Mount Rushmore of, of AAU and high school coaches. So, is that four? Yeah. Four presidents on Mount Rushmore. Okay, uh, college coaches like my favorites, who I who, who I think are the best. No, just AEU and high school coaches. Right. So my favorites or who I think are the best. Two different things. Who are your favorites? My favorites. My favorite college coaches. Um, I might go a little obscure here because I, I who I keep in close contact with. The first coach to ever talk to me, and he, he got his job like probably five years, four years ago, but one of the first assistant coaches, and this is kind of cool to see how assistant coaches from the EYBL can get assistant coaches at college, was Hamlet Tibbs of Vermont. He's their head assistant coach now, and he's got a super bright co- uh, future in front of him. Uh, Larry Blunt from Orangeville Prep. Uh, I knew him at a, you know at an early age. Um, and, and watching him develop into a you know an assistant coach and a future head coach has been has been great. Head coaches, I sit sat by. Um, make make it note of it to sit by Fran McCaffrey. He's very very entertaining to sit by uh, recruiting wise. Um, yeah. There is uh yeah I mean 
got one more. A lot. I've had, I've had a, you know, one of the best conversations I had was with Bob Huggins. Uh, he probably didn't even realize, like, you know, that that's what's cool to me as I started talking to him. But, like, he might have known who I was, but he didn't act like, like, he was just spitballing where it's like, oh, man, this is like, you know, it was cool to kind of get in his head, you know, as he was, yeah. uh, you know, evaluating talent. And then uh, Roy, you know, I've sat by him at, you know, quite a few Peach Jams. He's, um, he's more so uh, not recruiting there, but, you know, watching the talent that's going to be coming in and evaluating from that angle. So, yeah, yeah there's a bunch. Hey, you coaches, that's tough. Well, tough and not tough. I mean, you take the easy way out. The easy way out would be Boo Williams, Leo Papilli. Where is he? BABC. Okay. 1976. They've been around forever. Renee Pulley. And I mean, it depends if we were talking strictly coaches like Justin AU basketball. Sonny Vaccaro is one of my heroes. So uh, other than that, I mean, guys that have just run their programs for a long time that, you know, are respectable. Uh, Jim Hart for the State Rock's been around since 92. Yeah. Indy Heat have been around forever. So that fourth option might be uh, Mark Olivier from the Soldiers has been around, you know, running the Soldiers forever. Um, no, there's, I'm sure I'm forgetting people as, as I get put on the spot here, but you know, <laughs> you're, 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 my head goes right to the, you know, the guys that have paved the way. Yeah. You know, when, when your team's named after you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And for that many years, you know, it's, uh, you've obviously done something right. So who's the, who's the best grassroots team that didn't win the championship? The best grassroots basketball team that didn't win a championship. That's a good question. That is a really good question. Um, best EYBL team, probably, probably Houston Hoops, 2013. Who's I, thought they, I thought they were going to win. I thought they'd win Peach Jam. Their front court was Kelly Oubre, Justice Winslow, and Justin Jackson. Their point guard was Darren Fox. They had Kadeem Latin. Um, a couple other high major kids off the bat. I mean, they were – and Fox was a freshman at that point, so I think that was probably the one thing that held him back because he wasn't quite ready. Hmm. Um, oh, man, there's there's been some – there's been some teams where it's like, oh man, they didn't advance, and it's been surprising. But that's probably the, that's probably one you know you look on paper like, damn, they like that team was really, really, really good. Um, What's a, what, whose island are you still on as as a player that maybe people have given up on at the the college level, NBA level, high school? Like that I that I go to bat for. Yeah. Um, that's like struggling right now, or people have like given up on, or like someone yeah. like yeah. Alonzo Trier. Mm. That kid's a pro. You know, he he gets it. You can't tell me he doesn't have a role on a rotation on a winning NBA team. Like that's insane to me. Um, there's been there's been some other guys. There's been some guys in high school where it's like, well, yeah, I you know kind of figured he'd break out. I don't know why he's under-recruited. And you see those guys each year. It's always confusing to me when a guy averages over 10 points a game in the UIBL, but he's not recruited as a high major kid. Yeah. It confuses me. So, you know, those kids. Let's, let's ask you a question I've asked all my podcast guests because we've, we've been all DMV uh, up until now. What makes the DMV different? Mm. 
probably the population density, quite honestly. There's so many teams there and so many players, that, and it's all, it's all consolidated in the same area where if you're good in Minnesota, you play for Howard Pulley or D1 Minnesota. Right? Yeah. DMV, you can play for anyone. You guys touch every single state. So from the club aspect angle, that's what makes a difference. Then I think it's just the history. You know, you watch the PG County documentary, you watch, you know, if you just familiarize yourself with that and the players that have come out of there, uh, I think they've built up a pretty cool culture and, you know, got a, the best programs are there, you know, team takeover, Boo Williams, team Durant, like those teams are powerhouses. Like they're not going anywhere and they've, they've built themselves like pro programs. So, um, yeah, you guys recognize the importance of basketball for sure. Yeah. What's the biggest AAU what if? So maybe an injury, maybe a player that almost played for a team and ended up going somewhere else. Oh, Zion Williams in the EYBL. Yep, should have happened. Would have been crazy. Are you comfortable <laughs> saying what what team he would have played with? Or? Didn't need it. He didn't need the EYBL. So I mean, he didn't. You know, it, that's a selfish one for me. I just wish I could have seen him. You know, live playing. You know. <laughs> Obviously, we're all seeing that now. Otherwise, I mean, there's. Who was it? Someone missed the year, and it was a super big bummer. And there's there's been there's been quite a few. I mean, this year, this whole year, yeah, is the biggest bummer because I mean, I, I'm going to have a podcast probably that breaks down you know who I think would have won it and who I think had the best team and whatnot. And there's some teams that had look at the Indy Heat's roster heading into I mean, they had nine top eighty players. Like I would have loved to see how that you know materialized. Talk about um, the top three underrated kids, regardless of class, um, that, that you that you have your eye and that you think are going to blow up. Right now, um, top three underrated kids. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, hmm. I would say there's a kid for uh, – uh, he's in uh, inner city Philadelphia right now. He's not ranked, but he's moving into recruiting rankings. His name's Nizine Poplar. We just broke down his footage, and he was uh, extremely impressive. Um, it's a kid for the City Rocks 2022 class, not really getting any national love. Uh, his name's J.J. Starling. Mm. Extremely impressed by him. Yes, he's, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Preach. Yep, upstate New York kid. Which, yes, you know, uh, no, I, I actually really saw I saw him at the uh, the Final Four. I was I was blessed to be able to go into the Team USA practice, and uh, I actually got to meet his, his parents. You know, and we we just thought okay. it over being up being from upstate New York, and um, his dad was just kind of shaking his head, and he's like, "Man, he's like this, you know, like a, a show off type setting, you know, a, a setting where you know you're you're supposed to display your skills and kind of like you need to be selfish sometimes." He's like, "This is, oh, yeah. isn't conducive to his playing style." And, you know, you just see him watching him. You know, he just sets up his teammates really well. He's a good defender, really good communicator. Um, just the A-plus-plus kind of character kid. Um, he might have led the City Rocks in scoring as an underclassman this year, so I think he would have really broken out. There's a kid in the yeah. 2021 class just transferred to uh, – we're about to have him on the podcast. Uh, he just transferred to Wasatch Academy, Robbie Armbruster from uh, Georgia. He's six 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 seven. Just an absolute dog on defense. I think, you know, one thing that's hard to scout and put in recruiting rankings is the kid's mentality. And, like, yeah. when you get to know a kid, you can kind of, you know, 
see where they want to take their game. You know, I've, I've noticed him. He's one of them. Uh, another kid we talked to, Ramel Lloyd. He's like a 6'6 six, six point guard, built like a Mack truck. You know, he's ranked high in, in a couple, not ranked in, in, in others. So I think, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that, uh, you know, and there's a lot of kids that would have used this, uh, you know, this platform to be able to not be under the radar anymore. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Hopefully we'll have some content that will emphasize all the guys that just missed. Give me, give me an underrated under the radar coach you know either at the AU or high school level or maybe a college assistant that you think is is really going to be great one day mm, I'll stay in the I guess the the relative friend base um coach Rod Clark was with UIC this year he used to be at uh, Sunrise in Mocan uh he's I mean, kids love him, uh, sing his praises. I think, you know, those type of guys that work at AAU programs, they get a chance at the college level. They maintain their connections and they have trust among the kids. Mm. Um, uh, Coach Keani from uh, UConn uh, just did great work in Sunogo to go there. I know he had been on his P's and Q's uh, with the Wrens to, to get him to commit there. I mean, there's a lot of good young assistant coaches. Um, uh yeah. Next one that I think has a chance to, uh, you know, be be a major player, and I'm forgetting his name right now, is the uh, uh, North Texas, that whole coaching staff. Um, every time I hear from, you know, someone they're recruiting, they, they sing, you know, the North, North Texas coaches, you know, uh, that whole coaching staff. So it's cool seeing those mid-majors, like, develop some consistency and be able to get these, you know, players coming in, local players and. Uh, recruiting the EYBL better where, you know, you see why they're successful at, you know, in March because they have kids that are, are ready to go. And uh, yep. It's hard to, there's a lot, a lot of good young assistant coaches. Ryan Silver actually just put out a piece on Silver Waves Media that they kind of rank the top 50 assistant coaches in the country uh, mm -hmm. that, that are kind of next up. And I, you know, I agreed with a lot of what they had to say. Cool. Uh, last two ones. So uh, I, I was told that I need to, to ask you about the Jordan Goodwin game winner story. <laughs> the yeah, so uh, Jordan Barnes, uh, the uh, I'm assuming it's the half court shot. Um, no, I think it was the Jordan Goodwin game winner from the corner. Oh, that was wild. I've never seen anything like that in my life before. Um, it was, uh, no, I, well, there's been a couple crazy game winners. Um, we should put that up for a vote. Uh, the Goodwin one was nuts. There was uh, one last year at Peach Jam. Chris Harris caught one in the corner. He kind of like bobbled it midair and just kind of launched it up from the corner. It went in. Texas Titans had a full court heave with one second left at 16th Peach Jam. I'll never forget because Durant was watching it and they were playing Team Durant and got hit to the corner somehow and the kid hit a fadeaway. It was the, one of the craziest endings I've ever seen. But the, the Goodwin one was nuts. The Jordan Barnes. One was probably the craziest buzzer beater I've seen live. That was to go to the Peach Jam Championship. So um, I think he hit a you know a running forty footer uh, to win the game at the buzzer over CP3. Ah. That, was, that was Harry Giles. That was a you know um, Josh Akogi. That was a that was a loaded CP3 team. Um, that that was a, that was a that was a crazy game for sure. Absolutely. So to to close, um, I, I saw a quote. It was the picture that, that you have sitting next to Roy. And uh, a quote from him saying, when when I retire, I'll still go to two events every year, the Maui Invitational and the Peach Jam. This event is, is something special. Um, talk about uh, how, why that resonates with you. 
Well, Peach Jam is the best event in sports. So, I mean, I agree with him. I think every basketball fan needs to see it once. I think there's a lot of room for, you know, potentially uh, not improving it, but just capitalizing on what they're already doing there. I mean, it's a pretty surreal event. Um, I would, yeah, like I said, suggest anyone to go if you can. Um, it's a, you know, it's four days action-packed nonstop basketball, and it's the best kids on the planet that are right in front of you. So the atmosphere is amazing. Um, you know, you just can't get it anywhere else. So it's one of those things where you can only get that in one certain spot. And those are usually the best things in life. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for your time, man. So yeah. So glad to have you on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You take care as well.